Terry a little bit. Not Terry Rapids, uh, but... <laughs> but Terry in his presence. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Now that I've blown the mood, we'll just move on. <laughs> God is so good to us. Amen. Amen. We're thankful for our visitors here this morning. I apologize. I don't remember your names. I was told your names. John and Mary Lynn. Okay, that's my fault. I apologize. Well, we're so glad to have you here this morning. Your children are here as well. Praise God. Yeah, Brother DeMuth isn't used to having to bring a family with him anymore. (laughs) That's all right. Amen. We're going to continue this morning with our uh, study of the New Covenant. Uh, We're going to speak today on our Lord, because uh, we're to that part of the Sermon on the Mount. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 says this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Amen. So we see this term, this word being used, Lord. And uh, it's been said, I've heard it preached before, that Everybody wants a Savior, but very few people want a Lord. He is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Lord is one who exercises authority over others. If you know anything about medieval Europe or or, uh, ancient times, we understand that the Lord of the castle was the, he was the guy in charge. He was the guy that called the shots. He was, he made the laws. and, And when he spoke, that's what happened. Uh, the peasants, the peons, however you want to refer to them, they were the ones that were in subjection to their Lord. Now, uh, the other side of, of being Lord is he was responsible for providing, and he was responsible for protection, and he was responsible to take care of the peasants. Uh, certainly in times of war, if, if uh, someone was attacking, the peasants would come into the castle walls, and they would stay there. It was up to the Lord to protect them, to, to provide for their basic needs. And they did that to a greater or lesser extent, sometimes not at all. But uh, our Lord does exactly that. But our responsibility then is to submit ourselves to Him, to do what He says, because we recognize that as the Lord, He certainly provides and He certainly protects, but He's also in charge. We're not. When I was a child living under my mom and dad's roof, I would have liked very much to be able to call the shots, determine my bedtime, determine how late I can stay out, where I can go. I would have loved that. But that wouldn't have been very good for me, would it? If I called the shots when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I would have gotten in trouble. I probably would have got myself hurt. My mom and dad, they knew better, so they said no. 
When the Lord tells us something, when our Lord commands us to do something, asks of us something that we're not necessarily willing to do or give, we ought to do that. And the reason is, He knows best. He knows that if I give that thing or if I do this thing, that's going to be the best for me. In this passage of Scripture, we're seeing reference the difference between a shallow acquaintance with Jesus and a deep, growing, lively relationship with Him. The desire to do only those things that please Him. Now we see all through Scripture, Scripture is replete with example after example of the fact that God's love language is obedience. He equates love with obedience. And I'm going to read what's going to seem like a lot of verses, but this is just scratching the surface. There are many, many, many more verses that say exactly this. Deuteronomy 30 and 20 says that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey His voice. We're going to see those two terms combined in the same verse a lot. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey His voice. And that thou mayest cleave unto Him for He is thy life and the length of thy days. That thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So we see love and obedience kind of mashed together. He equates them the same way. Joshua 22 and 5. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Again, love and obedience. John 14:21 says, this is Jesus himself speaking. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. John 15.10 If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. Second John, verse, uh, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. So again, God equates love with obedience. And that is, again, a hard saying for some people today. There is a... There's some uh, theological terms that uh, theologians will use when they're studying the Bible. Uh, two of them are exegesis and eisegesis. Some of you have heard those terms. Uh, when you exegete a scripture or a passage of scripture, what you're basically doing is you're coming to the scriptures with a blank mind and you're wanting the scriptures to speak to you. What is the Lord saying in this passage of scripture? And that's... The right way. That's what we ought to be doing. <clears throat> we ought to be letting the Lord speak to us. What is truth? What is right? What is wrong? A lot of people, though, will eisegete a scripture. They'll come with a preconceived idea of truth. They already know what truth is. They already know what the answer is. They're just looking for a passage to back that up. And so they're going to read into something. 
One guy told me, and I love this phrase, uh, he's a scientist, and he said, uh, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess. <laughs> In other words, you can twist the data around to make it say anything you want if you just try hard enough. And you can do the same with a passage of Scripture. <laughs> I can do all things through Scripture taken out of context. Amen. <laughs> but that's what we're doing when we're isogeting, okay? And that's not what we should be doing. We should be exegeting, letting the Lord speak to us what is right and what is wrong. What is this verse saying? How can I apply this verse to my life? And so, when we read Scriptures that talk about obeying, submitting, uh, conforming, these things don't go well with, with society today. They never really have, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's directly contradictory to our old natures. We want to be in charge. We want to call the shots. We want to determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. Adam and Eve had the same problem. Everyone else has had the same problem all the way from them to us. And so, it's hard sometimes to bring ourselves to the place where we are actively submitting to the will of God. Well, we are actively submitting to Scripture as we understand it. But we have to do that. We have to obey God. Because if we don't, I mean, the other choice, of course, is to disobey. To disregard what He says and to do things our way. And there are a lot of people going that route. A lot of people. The problem with that route is, when everything is said and done, let's say, let's give it a best case scenario. Let's use someone like Bill Gates or, uh, uh, what's the Amazon guy? Bezos. There we go. He's the, he's the new head guy, richest man in the world. Their personal lives are a complete dumpster fire. I mean, the relationships are, are disastrous. But by every worldly standard, I mean, they made it, right? They have power. They have wealth. They can do whatever they want to do. They can pay off whoever they want and get away with whatever they want to do. They made it. They are the epitome of worldly success. Let's just say they get to enjoy that their whole lives. Nothing really bad happens. And then they die. We read earlier, in an earlier message, about Lazarus and the rich man. Let's call the rich man Jeff Bezos. He got to enjoy all of life's pleasures. Whatever he wanted was right there at his fingertips. But after everything was said and done, he had nothing spiritually. He failed to recognize that there was a life after this. And when he went into the next, when he went into eternity, where he's going to spend forever, he had nothing. He had nothing. And Lazarus, who was scraping sores and begging for food at the rich man's gate, he had much. And he would enjoy that forever. So we need to understand, when we're, 
when the preacher gets up here and tells you you got to obey God, when, when you're in prayer and the Lord is asking you, please trust me, when you're reading Scripture and it says, if you love me, keep my commandments, please understand why. It's not because God is power hungry. He doesn't need to be hungry for power. He has all the power. He has all the authority. He doesn't need any more. He can't get any more. He has it all. So he, he can't be power hungry by definition. He's got the highest position in the universe. He has all power, all authority. He's not power hungry. He's telling us to obey him because he loves us. He wants the very best for us. When we disobey God, we're showing Him a couple things. One, we don't trust Him. Two, we think we know better than He does. That's what kids are saying when they disobey their parents. I know better than you, old man. You're out of touch. You have no idea what's going on today. And I get it. I was there. I used to believe that too. I mean, mean, that's not a new thing. I think every, at least speaking for a teenage boy, I think every teenage boy, more or less, goes through that phase. The old man, he's lost it. He, he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's out of touch. I know what's going on. So I'm going to make the decision here. Eventually, yeah. And that's what we're telling God. The old man's lost it. God doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what I'm doing. He doesn't know what I'm going through. Really? Do you really believe that? we got more fundamental issues if you truly believe that. But, that's really what we're saying. I don't trust you. I don't trust you to make the right choice here. I know the situation better than you do, so I'm going to make the choice. And typically, well, always, but typically pretty quickly, we're going to find out that's really not the case. Dad really did know what he was talking about when he told me not to go there, when he told me not to do that. But now it's too late. I already did it. They say around 25, 26 years of age, that's when the brain starts to mature in, in men. And uh, we start thinking straight, start understanding. Yeah, my dad really did know what he was talking about. He's pretty smart after all. Maybe they haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> but they will. They will. Amen. But I pray that all of us this morning, when God approaches us with something we don't necessarily want to do, something that's hard, something that seems impossible, or uh, it's going to move me way out of my comfort zone, I just don't want to. But we, for our own sake, for our own good, you need to. There's blessing at the end of obedience. 
When we obey God, He shows us mercy. Exodus 20 and 6 says this, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Deuteronomy 5.10 says, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Daniel 9 and 4 says, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. Now, a disclaimer here real quick. We can't earn God's forgiveness. Okay? Our obedience isn't going to earn us forgiveness. But what obedience does is it tells God, I want to serve you. I want to please you. We are not all of us 100% obedient all the time. I wish we were. I wish I was. But we're not. Every once in a while, we get crazy. And we, we, we do stupid stuff. And when we do, the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. So, keeping that relationship is what's important. When I understand that I want to stay obedient and submitted to God because that's what pleases Him. I want to demonstrate so desperately how much I love Him. Because He has demonstrated to me every day of my life how much He loves me. I want to do everything I can to show Him how much I love Him. And if that's what it is, praise God. That's what it'll be. But I don't always do that. So does that mean He doesn't love me anymore? Not at all. He still loves me. He still wants me to come to Him with that. To pick me up, to clean me off, and send me back on my way. That's what He wants. But the attitude of my heart is I want to please Him. I want to submit to Him and do what He says because I love Him. God blesses obedience. Joshua 1 and 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Isaiah 119 says, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. Deuteronomy 7, 12 and 13 says, Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee, and bless thee, and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb, and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, and thy wine, and thine oil, the increase of thine kind, and the flocks of thy sheep, in the land which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee. God cannot and will not bless disobedience. We tell our kids that all the time. You've told your kids that. I want to bless you. I want to, I want to, to go above and beyond. I want to give everything to you. But I can't do that unless you first learn to submit, to obey, to do, to follow the rules. If I say you need to be in the house by 10 o'clock and you roll in at 11.15, I can't bless that. I can't. Even if I wanted to, I don't want to. 
But I can't. My hands are tied. I cannot bless disobedience. If I do, well, that's okay. We'll just give it to you anyway. What am I telling the boy? The girl. It doesn't matter. I can do what I want to do. There are no rules. God is a God of law. He's a God of order. And when He says something, He means it. He means it. Now, it's always for our best. He's not, a, uh, he's not an ogre. He's not. He's not sitting there on high looking for an opportunity to throw lightning at you. Don't believe that for a minute. You may have had a father like that. Okay? And I, I get, you know, the way our fathers are, a lot of times when we come into a relationship with God, we see God the same way. I understand that. And that's hard to get over sometimes. But we need to understand He is a perfect Father. He's perfect. The fathers that we had were not perfect. The Father that I am is not perfect. It's not. I do my best to to demonstrate God to my family. But I fail sometimes. Because I'm not God. (laughs) I'm me. Trying to reflect His image. And so, please understand... Please give your, your parents a little bit of credit. Give them a little bit of understanding. Uh, how, however old you are. And understand that God is not like that. God is who we see revealed in Scripture. He is perfect. And He loves you enough to, to hang on a cross and die for you. He loves you that much. Talk about giving up something. If we knew what heaven was like, if we knew what our our glorified bodies were going to be like, and then to willingly set that aside to come and live in this place, that is... I mean, the best analogy I could think of is someone like Jeff Bezos setting aside all of his wealth and going to live in Kenya, Africa, in a hut somewhere. But that doesn't begin to compare to what the Lord Jesus set aside to come and live amongst us, to wrap himself in this. God places a high value on obedience. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, Samuel said, He hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Jeremiah 7.22 and 23 says, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. Amen. God loves the obedient. 
Because the obedient love God. I've, I've heard this come out of uh, people's mouths more than once, and I think it's, it would be hilarious if it weren't so sad. Yeah, he loves the Lord. He, he just has a problem with obedience. Literally. That sentence, I've heard more than once, come out of people's mouths. I don't think that can be supported scripturally. <clears throat> you may want to love the Lord. You may believe you love the Lord. But unless you're obedient to Him, you don't. If He is your Lord, then you got to do what He says. Does that make sense? One scripture says, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? That's a good question. According to our passage of scripture, admitting that Jesus is the Lord does not get us into heaven. It doesn't get us into a relationship with God. Doing His will gets us into heaven. So where do we find that? How do we determine what His will is? If I can say it this way, there are levels or stages of God's will. There's, there's a will of God for all people to be saved. That's God's will for every person. He wants them saved. He wants them to spend eternity with Him. <clears throat> After salvation, He wants them to be perfected. He wants them to reflect Jesus Christ. That's His will for everybody. Now, after that, we have more individual wills. If I can say it like that. God has a plan for your life that might be different than mine. God has a ministry for you that might be different than mine. But He's got a plan for your life. And He's got a ministry for you. He wants to use you mightily, wondrously, miraculously. And how He uses you might be different than how He uses me. But our responsibility is to determine what that will is. Why did God create me? Why did God plant me here? Why did God give me the personality I have? Why did God give me the job I have? There's reasons for all of it. So we need to understand what that will is. What is God's plan for my life? That's part of our responsibility. Now, the will of God is not some esoteric, mystical, i got to go on this, this long treasure hunt to determine what God's will is. It's not that at all. It's God's perfect will for you to know God's perfect will. That sounds more clever than it is. <clears throat> So where do we find the will of God? The Bible. The Bible will direct us. It will lead us. It will guide us. It will let us know what God's will is. We can determine God's will through prayer. When we speak to the Lord in prayer, and He speaks to us, 
It's at those times that He will give us words of direction, words of encouragement, refining, focusing, where we need to do, go, what we need to do with our lives. Godly counsel. When we hear a word from the Lord, it ought to be confirmed through godly counsel. A man or a woman of God that you trust. Preaching and teaching. You can get the will of God over the pulpit. Okay, we need to read and understand and do God's Word. In our society today, uh, Christians, Christians in general, I don't typically listen to Christian radio. I don't typically listen to music much at all, period. Uh, just not my thing. I like a book on tape. Uh, but uh, my wife listens to music. And so driving into church, we always have the Christian radio station on. And it's, I begin to get a sense of, of where the, the Christian community is in the United States. Now, it might be skewed. I don't know if this is a, a real good sampling, uh, but I imagine they're, they're, they're trying to reach as many people as they can. So the things that they speak about, the things that, uh, that are said, on the Christian radio station, I believe are indicative of kind of what's going on out there in the Christian community at large. And if that's true, not saying it is for sure, but if it is, we're in a pretty sad state. Uh, what they say sounds good. It sounds really good. Listening to it this morning, they were talking about some law that was passed in Missouri. Uh, August 31st is now going to be uh, Random Act of Kindness Day. Okay, fantastic. That's that's pretty. But this person was going on and on about how good that was and and how we need to emulate that. And uh, I mean, shouldn't that be reflected already? In the Christian community, <laughs> we are supposed to reflect Jesus Christ, yes? We are supposed to represent Him to this world. And if we need this, this five-minute exposition on doing random acts of kindness one day out of the year, if we need a law, we probably do need a law, because it's not in here anymore. But what the first century church had and what we have today are vastly different. And as a church, our responsibility then is to bring these two together. And by together, I mean we need to move the church from where we're at to where we were at the beginning what Jesus purchased, what Jesus established here on earth. What Jesus did on this earth is what we need to continue doing. He told us that. That's what His church is going to do. That's what His body is going to do. Is continue the, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. What was His earthly ministry? I'm getting way off on my notes here. Off my notes. 
Our earth, his earthly ministry was vastly different than what I see in our churches today. It doesn't have to be, though. It doesn't have to be different. It can be very much the same. And greater. Greater works than these shall ye do. So we need to read and understand and do God's Word. All of it. Every part of it. From the very first verse. It's all there for our admonition. Every word of God is profitable. Even the genealogies. Even they are profitable to us. Go ahead and read through them. You'll understand why some people are laughing. We need to experience New Testament salvation. That is not negotiable. Jesus said that we need to incorporate the death, burial, and resurrection of Him into our lives. And He demonstrated to us, He told us how to do it through the apostles, those who were given the keys to the kingdom. We need to experience New Testament salvation. We need to repent of our sins. We need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking with other tongues. None of that is negotiable. Now, you may not like that, and that's fair. Okay? I tell my kids all the time, you don't have to like chores. You don't even have to smile when you do chores. But just do them. Just do them. And get it over with. That's why they're called chores and not fun. We don't have to like everything. We just have to do it. Now, I believe that as we mature, we're going to start like to like obeying God because that's going to be, become part of our nature now. We want to do that inherently. We want to do that from the abundance of our heart. But initially, when God tells us something we don't want to do, we just have to do it. We don't have to like it. And we can, we can read things in Scripture that we don't like, that we wish were different. Before I received the Holy Ghost, I was so, I would have loved to be a part of the Old Testament. Because I didn't have to receive the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. I just had to bring sacrifices and, and, you know, whatever the, the Mosaic Law was. I would have rather climbed uh, Mount Horeb and received the Law because it, it seemed easier at the time than receiving the Holy Ghost. I struggled with that. I did. But after I got the Holy Ghost, I changed my mind. I don't need to climb Mount Horeb anymore. <laughs> Amen. But there are things you're not going to like when you read Scripture. It's just the way it works. Conform to it. Do it anyway. You will be blessed for your obedience. We need to pray and fast. These also are not optional. If we're going to have a growing, lively relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to have a relationship with Him. We need to speak with Him from time to time. 
We need to get in His presence and communicate back and forth. Every once in a while, every once in a while, it's okay to, to shut your mouth in prayer and listen. It took me a long time to learn that. I didn't, I didn't see it exampled a whole lot. When I went to the prayer room, everybody was talking for the whole period of time. So that's what I tried to do. But it's okay to stop and listen. Definitely bring your requests. Definitely, it's okay to talk to God. I'm not saying that. But it's also okay to, to let Him talk as well. Communication is a two-way street, right? If you and me are hanging out and I'm doing all the talking, you, you kind of start forming a negative opinion, right? Yeah, this guy's a, a, a bore. A bore. You kind of want a chance to share something as well. Let God do that too. We need to obey God in giving Him our tithes and offerings. Again, this is not negotiable if we're going to have an ongoing, growing relationship with God. We need to submit ourselves to Him in our finances. And I understand the the position I'm preaching from, okay? Uh, Disregard that for a moment. And just hear the word of the Lord. Our tithes and our offerings are commanded. The Bible says, God says, that if we don't pay those things back to Him, we're robbing God. And if we're doing that, He cannot bless us. He wants to desperately bless your finances. He wants to bless everything in your life. Truly, He does. But He can't. His hands are tied if we disobey Him. We've got to obey Him. And that means our wallets. That means our bank accounts. Enough said. We've got to obey Scripture. We need to study God's Word and apply it to our lives. Just because we've received the Holy Ghost, we're, we're in a covenant relationship with God now, doesn't mean we can neglect God's Word. God will speak to us through His Word. There are so many reasons why we need to know and apply God's Word. So many reasons. It is our protection from error. It is our our guidebook for life. Every question we have can be answered at least in principle through the Word of God and through prayer. When we combine the two, God can speak to us through His Word. And He can let us know exactly what He's saying. When we hear something preached over the pulpit, and we know God's Word, we're studying it, we're memorizing it, and we have a relationship with God in prayer, He can speak to us. He can bring Scriptures to mind. He can combine all of these things to bless you and to move you forward in His kingdom. We need to be faithful to church. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. This is not this is not negotiable. And the reason for that is we talked about in spiritual warfare wolves. One of the tactics wolves do is they'll try to separate someone. And when you're separate from the flock, you're vulnerable. 
And you're, you're, you're a prime target for the enemy. We cannot allow ourselves to be separated from the flock of God. We cannot. Does everybody always want to come to church every time? No. You don't. I don't even want to come every time. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're not feeling the best. We don't always feel like coming. We don't always feel like obeying God. That's why feelings aren't that cool. Feelings are good when I'm in the presence of God and I feel His presence. When I feel love towards someone. Feelings are good. But when feelings are keeping me away from God, now feelings are bad. I don't like them anymore. Feelings are real. Okay, we experience them, but they're not always true. Okay? Your heart will most certainly lie to you. It will. It is desperately wicked. And so, we need to be faithful to the house of God for our benefit and for others' benefits. When you're strong, I might need someone strong that day. I might not be strong. If I come in strong, maybe you're going to need someone that's strong. But together, we can make it. Together, we're going to be okay and we're going to move forward. And the enemy will try, but he will fail when we're together. We need to be faithful to the house of God. We need to be an effectual witness of who Jesus Christ is. We are called to demonstrate Him to this world. To teach about Him, definitely. To talk about Him, sure. But primarily, we are called to demonstrate Him. There's a difference between telling someone who Jesus is and then showing Him who Jesus is. They ought to see Jesus in us. They ought to hear His voice when we're speaking. That's what ought to be. We shouldn't have to spend a lot of time telling people, I'm a Christian, I believe Scripture, this is who Jesus is. They really should already feel something off of that. They should sense something different. Contrary to popular belief, everybody in the entire world believes in God. Everybody knows that God exists. Everybody. They'll say they don't. They'll say they're an atheist. They'll say they're an agnostic. We can't know. But in their heart of hearts, they know. Scripture tells us this. Everybody knows that God exists. They just don't want God to exist. And their problem primarily is not one of evidence. It's not one of, well, I, I don't know if the Scriptures are true. It's a problem of sin. They want to live the way they're living, and they're going to find any excuse to do that. That's the problem. Sin is the problem. And so... Even in that state, I was a rank sinner when I came to church and I felt the presence of God so powerfully. 
anybody can feel the presence of God. When we speak to people who are rank sinners, they ought to feel the presence of God. They should. Not because I, I'm praying an hour and a half a day instead of just an hour. Not because I'm reading four chapters a day instead of just three. But because I have an ongoing relationship with Him. I'm doing what I can to please Him and to serve Him with my life. Because of that, God is going to work through me. Brother DeMuth just recently got done with a, uh, like a really long, uh, series on being, uh, co-laborers with God. You need to listen to it. I'm just joking, but <laughs> it was fantastic. We are co-laborers with Him. He, He ought to be working with us. He ought to be working through us. And that's why they should be feeling something. Not because we're holier than thou, not because we've checked everything off and now God's, now they're going to feel God through me. That's not it. Because we love God and we're serving Him, uh, according to our level of knowledge. As we study Scripture, our knowledge grows and we apply that to our lives and we move forward in Him. That's the relationship we have. And when we're in that relationship, we speak to someone, they ought to feel Him. They ought to hear His voice. Praise God. We need to be an effectual witness of who Jesus Christ is. We need to seek God's will for our lives and then do it. We've already talked about that. This takes prayer and seeking godly counsel. God has placed in each of us His body according to His will. Whatever ministry you have, wherever you've been planted, whatever body you have, personality, that was the choice of Jesus Christ. And you can love it or lump it. <clears throat> I would definitely do something different uh, if I had a choice. I'd maybe have a little bit less hair. Because I have to keep cutting this. And it gets irritating. <laughs> Didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> I don't know what I do with hair anymore, Brother DeMuth. I just don't. I wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Amen. But this is what we have. This is what God gave us. For better or for worse, uh, this was the will of God. And I have to trust that for whatever reason, this is what's best. It was God's will for me to have the personality I have. It was God's will for me to look like this, to be here at this period of time. As, as for all of you. So we ought to embrace that. And trust that this is the best thing. God has the best thing in store for us. Amen. And He's going to use that for His will. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, that's you and me, fitly framed together, Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. 
God has placed us here for such a time as this. God has placed us in this city, in this church, according to His will. We are part of this body of Christ by His plan, by His design. We need to discover what God created us to do and do it. Okay, we've, we talked about that as well also. We are tools on God's tool belt. But God is the builder. Now, it's true that you can build a house with a hammer and nails. You can throw up a frame with just hammer and nails. People used to do it. But it's hard. And it takes a long time. Especially if you have to a lot or a lot. I don't know if any of you have tried to do that with a like a 16-penny nail. Uh, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. But now they have these wonderful power tools. Yeah. You just... And you're done. Now, it's a little heavy carrying that around, but, but it's a whole lot easier long-term. Roofing. Have you seen the roofing nail guns they have? Instead of, yeah, it's... Done and done. It's beautiful. Practiced for an hour last night. <laughs> Glad it worked out. My point is this. Practice makes perfect. No, that's not my point. Um, when we come to the Lord, we're probably a hammer and a nail. God can use us. He can use us. And He'll receive glory from building the house with that hammer. But on my end, I want to be refined. I want to grow in grace and in knowledge of the, of the, the Word of the Lord. And I want to, to become a better tool in His hand. I want to be a more effective tool in His hand. And there are things that we can do. And we've talked about all of them. Studying Scripture, church attendance, being obedient to God, having a, a relationship with Him in prayer, etc., etc. And all of these things are going to cause us to grow. We're going to become more mature in Him. And God is going to give us more to do. He's going to give us more responsibility in His kingdom. Spiritual or physical or both. But He's going to give us that, and He's going to entrust us to do something with that. Because now we're in a position where He can use us in those areas. Amen. External works cannot and will not save us, only the internal qualities of submission and obedience to Jesus Christ. Again, trying to differentiate, you know, Lord, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in Your name. We've cast out devils. We've done this. We've done that in Your name. And He said, depart from Me, I never knew You. There was no relationship. And unfortunately, I think it's unfortunate, but for whatever reason, this is how God works it. I don't need a relationship with God for Him to do a miracle through me. You see some real whacked out people doing all kinds of powerful things in the name of Jesus Christ. But their doctrine is crazy. And their relationship with God is weird. But they still do these miracles. And I have to believe that it's God doing them. 
but you don't need any fruit of the Spirit to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. You don't. If someone's being used mightily in the gifts of the Spirit, that's great. And I, I pray every one of us here is mightily used in the gifts of the Spirit. But that doesn't determine spirituality. Please understand that. Just because you're used doesn't mean you're spiritual. There's a difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. You need to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. That's what demonstrates spirituality. That's what demonstrates spirituality. More on that later. Yes, faith is demonstrated by our works, but it is the faith that saves us, not the demonstration. Okay, in James it says, I will show you my faith by my works, right? So the works demonstrate faith, but it's the faith that saves. It's not the works, okay? The works are a byproduct of the thing that does save. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith in what? Jesus Christ. His finished work at Calvary. We can't do enough to be saved. All the good works in the world will not save anybody. Just like completely covering myself in a sheet from head to toe, no flesh showing, it's about as holy as you can get. That's not going to save me. It won't. Holiness in here will save me. A desire to be like Jesus will save me or keep me saved. But the standards will not. Standards of conduct and dress will not save us. It's personal holiness that we're looking for. Holiness will naturally reflect that. When we receive the Holy Ghost, we begin to speak with other tongues. Some people think that it's speaking in tongues that saves us. It's not. It's receiving the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, you're going to speak with other tongues. That's the evidence of the thing that saves But it's not the thing that saves. It will not be because of lack of good works that people are sent to hell, but because they lack a relationship with Jesus Christ. They were doing many good works, just not the right ones. Okay, our relationship is demonstrated by our obedience. If Jesus tells me to go over here and and minister, and I decide, well, there's more people over here, I'm going to go over here and minister. Still the will of God, right? I want to see them saved. But God's not going to bless me. He didn't tell me to go over here. He told me to go over here and minister. When Paul wanted to go into Asia, God said no. Wasn't it God's will to save the Asians? Absolutely it was. He wants all people saved. But that wasn't for Paul. Not then. God wanted Paul somewhere else. God's got this, folks. He's got it all figured out. All we got to do is what we're told. We don't have to. We don't have to see the big picture, the worldwide picture. Well, if I go over here, you know, what's going to happen over here, God? Well, if you're that worried about it, pray for them. God will send someone over here. 
Or maybe he'll send you over there after you're done here. But follow the plan of God. Trust him. Do what we're told. When Jesus tells us to do something, I keep telling him, you know, sometimes I'm ignorant, sometimes I'm dumb. Please, when you tell me something, explain it by the numbers. Tell me step by step and make it clear because I want to obey you. I don't want there to be any, any fuzziness, any, any room for interpretation. Uh, just speak to me plainly. Tell me what to do. And when I hear that plain word of the Lord, I will definitely do it. Uh, because we love Him. And we want to do those things that please Him. Despite all of their good works, Jesus calls them workers of iniquity. Why? The attitude of their hearts... They weren't doing it for the right reasons. They had no relationship with God. So they weren't interested in, in, in God's value system. They weren't interested in, in what God was wanting to do through those miracles. Pride, arrogance becomes very easy to embrace in that, that period of time. When we separate ourselves from the will of God and we're just doing our own thing, and we believe now because God's doing the miracles, that God's in it. God, God's blessing my ministry. He's blessing your faith. He's blessing the Word of God. He's going to honor the Word of God. But it doesn't mean He's blessing your ministry. It doesn't mean that at all. God may want you to be doing something else entirely, but you have no relationship with God. You're not hearing anything from God. You're just out doing this all on your own. And because of that, it's very easy to start thinking, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Pride, arrogance. The work begins focusing on themselves. They're building their kingdom. We see this in televangelism a lot. Now, I'm not saying all televangelists are bad. I don't know all of them. But the few I do know, I, I wouldn't recommend them. <clears throat> okay, in conclusion, as Christians, we've got to submit ourselves to God in every area of our lives. It won't come naturally. It's something that we have to learn to do. The Bible says even of Jesus that he learned obedience through suffering. Guess how we're going to learn obedience? But when we learn to obey God, God's blessings will be on us. And only then will God's blessings be on us when we give ourselves to the will of God and do what He tells us to do, both corporately, as a family, and as individuals. Amen. Let's all stand.